Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists, faculty members, and your hosts for The Postgraduate Pharmacist. Welcome back, Sasso Squad, and any new listeners to another episode of The Postgraduate Pharmacist, where we're all about helping you separate and stand out as you prepare for postgraduate training. From current events to expert advice, we bring you up-to-date content every other Monday related to postgraduate training. Join the Sasso Squad today and follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. And check out our website at postgraduatepharmacist.com where you can get all of our latest content. If you love the show and want to support what we're doing, check out ways to spread the word on our website or buy us a cup of coffee. We could always use the caffeine. This is our second episode in our alternate pathway series where we are exploring different types of postgraduate training experiences that are available but may not be as familiar to you. If you haven't listened already to our first episode in the series, episode number 32, What is a Community Pharmacy Residency? Be sure to check that out before you listen to this one. Our Community Pharmacy Residency series will be four episodes long, which will release weekly before we switch over to fellowships. Taylor and I are nowhere close to being experts on community-based pharmacy residencies, so we pulled in someone who was. Our guest this week is Dr. Natasha Zhibak, who is a clinical pharmacist at the Centers for Families and Children and Adjunct Faculty at Ursuline College in Ohio. She serves as the program coordinator, but is transitioning into the residency program director role for the Centers for Families and Children's Community-Based PGY1 Pharmacy Residency, which hosts a whopping six residency positions each year, which we know must be a ton of work for you. Natasha, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Natasha, I'm excited to have you to start this series and continue this series with us. So as is tradition on this show, would you mind sharing your professional journey in postgraduate training? Yeah, so I graduated from Northeast Ohio Medical University School of Pharmacy in 2019. It's a school located in Rootstown, Ohio. And after that, I completed a PGY1 community pharmacy residency with the Centers for Families and Children. I've been doing rotations while as a student with the centers for a really long time. And so I just kind of fell in love with the organization and knew that I wanted to stick around, advocated for a position to be created for myself, and here I am. Like I said, we're excited to have you here, and we are learning so much so far in this series, and we're excited to learn a little more today about some community pharmacy residencies. So last week, we learned that there's many different types of community-based pharmacy residencies, and candidates shouldn't expect to see a cookie cutter type structure for one program to the next. So we were reading about your program before the show and noticed that there's a lot of these ambulatory and psychiatric elements that seem pretty prominent in the description of your program. So can you give us an overview of the structure of your program and the types of learning experiences that you all offer? Yeah, so our program is structured with four longitudinal learning experiences. And so our residents get an opportunity to really hone in on their clinical skills as well as earn a teaching certificate 
and not only precept students, but also teach lectures at Ursuline with myself. But we also have our project experience and the dispensing experience, where I think that a lot of people maybe get confused when they hear community pharmacy residency is that they're expecting to be within the community residency, the retail end all day. That's not what our residents do. It's a lot of clinical work, a lot of AM care, and working with our behavioral health providers. So just a lot of one-on-one with those types of providers, working with our patients. And then there is, of course, a staffing component. We do want to prepare residents for if they decide to go the community pharmacy route after residency that you know they feel prepared to do so. That's awesome. I think there's a lot of myths out there about what a community pharmacy residency is. And I think you kind of highlighted a lot of different experiences that your residents are able to get. I was kind of interested, I know you said they get a lot of the same types of experiences as a general PGY-1 in pharmacy practice, like you get the staffing component, you get the teaching certificate, things like that. You mentioned like with a project, what kind of projects are your residents doing? Yeah, so something that we are really working on and we're trying to really focus on within the pharmacy team is expanding our services. And so the residents were able to work on putting together collaborative practice agreements. And we've recently signed and put into place CPAs for diabetes and hypertension. So they the residents are really involved in that and I'm really trying to kickstart seeing our patients once they're referred to clinical pharmacy for diabetes management or hypertension management, smoking cessation, stuff like that. And with those new services, there's going to come a lot of data tracking. And so we want to really see and be able to showcase how pharmacists improve outcomes when they're directly involved in the care team. And so our residents are going to, are working on that and they're going to be able to really look at data once we have more of those referrals in. But we're also looking at overall adherence because a huge part of our program is our adherence packaging program, which we call Pillminders. And so we put together blister packs for patients and we follow up with them on a like a monthly basis and just check in to see how they're doing. We talk to them about whether or not their medications are working for them, they're experiencing any side effects, and really doing that like full chart review whenever we prepare these blister packs for a patient. So we're looking at adherence and we really want to show how our adherence program has been able to reduce the amount of emergency department visits or hospitalizations, as well as we're working with such a like a large mental health community. We want to show that we're really helping these medications work to the greatest extent for these patients. But on top of that, it is also a lot of quality improvement work. One of our residents right now has been going through the different incident reports that come out of pharmacy for the past three years, and we're trying to really identify patterns in incidents and medication errors, and also look at the steps that we've taken to fix those issues, whatever the underlying cause of the incident was. We have five health centers, which means we have five 
retail pharmacies. And so sometimes while we're good at communication, sometimes if something occurs at one site, it doesn't always make it to the other site. So if we make changes to try to make things a little safer at one site, we really want to make sure that that's happening across the entire organization. I couldn't tell you how many times students have come up to me and said that they're interested in psych and they don't really know at this stage what exactly that looks like. They're just interested in the concept of behavioral health and working with behavioral health providers. And I guarantee they have no idea that they could get some of that experience through like a community-based pharmacy residency. So that is really exciting to hear. You mentioned multi-site and Taylor and I learned last time because we're, we're just like students too. We're learning how to ask the right questions. We learned we're supposed to ask you, do your residents rotate through the multi-sites or are they assigned to a specific site? Yeah, so for the most part, the experiences across all of our sites are going to be very similar with a few exceptions. We have a site where the patients are primarily Spanish speaking. And so we really want to make sure that we ha- we give patients the opportunity to communicate with their providers in their native language whenever possible even if they may speak English, um, you know, having that opportunity to communicate in Spanish with their providers is very beneficial for them. So at the beginning, the residents will rotate through the different sites and just kind of, um, you know, see how they fit in, see how they believe they can make an impact at the site. Um, And then they submit their rankings to me. The managers submit their rankings, and we kind of assign sites that way. Um, For the most part, each resident will have two different pharmacies, two different locations that they work out of. Um, And they really have to coordinate with the other residents there and the clinical pharmacists there to make sure that things are getting done, things are running smoothly, that everybody's on the same page as far as our patients go. So what is an ideal candidate then look like for your program? Yeah, so we really want to see people who have put in the work as far as, you know, working in underserved communities, picking their rotations to really reflect that passion, as well as rotations in ambulatory care, I think are really important. Leadership experiences are going to be great too. I think it it really shows that applicants have that passion to make a change in pharmacy practice, as well as help the community. And, you know, any kind of involvement can show that, but leadership positions are going to show that they're able to organize those efforts and really help the team, you know, meet that common goal. On top of that, we really like to see people with community volunteer experience, especially when you're working in an underserved community. It's not enough to just come to work and be like, yeah, I really care about our patients' outcomes and quality of life. I really like to see people who go the next step and go beyond and try to get involved in their communities as much as possible. Listening to all those things you listed, obviously, I think each program kind of has their unique secret sauce of what they're looking for, you know. I can't help but notice you didn't mention specifically grades or GPA. Is that something you all take into account or is maybe a little bit less than some of those other things that you mentioned? 
Yeah, we do take that into account, but I think that it's also important to remember when we're talking to the candidates, whether if we're doing screening or during the interview, is to give them an opportunity to explain something that might be on their transcripts that would normally discourage students from seeking residencies. Obviously, like it's important that you're able to pass your classes because you have to pass the NAPLEX. Um, that's a huge part of getting a residency and getting licensed in general and really being able to provide that patient care. But we also do look at, you know, the references and some things that I really want to see references talk about is the applicant's ability to work well with others, the applicant's ability to talk to their patients and provide education and counseling to them about the medications and just in general, you know, being able to stay on task and being motivated as well. When we were talking before the show, you said you've listened to some of our episodes. So you probably know that we like to ask some good trivia questions about our guests. So I'm going to start us off with a little bit of a, just a generally fun question here. So I love a good festival. I usually go to smaller festivals. So we have a lot of cool, cool small festivals around here in Mobile, Alabama, like the Shrimp Fest. If you count Mardi Gras as a festival, then that's a that's a big one that we have each year. And then we have like a music hangout music fest. And then on a previous episode, Taylor and I quizzed one of our guests about the Blue Plum Festival in Johnson City. So today, though, we're going to go a little international and talk about a unique festival that's held in Finland. So every year around August, starting all the way back in 1996, Finland holds a specific special festival and not just any festival, but the world championship for this specific event. And they get a massive amount of people from all over. I think last year's attendance was over 30,000. So my question for you is what is the festival and contest about? Is it about air guitar, body painting, hair freezing and sculpting? That's where they get in the hot tub and they get out and their hair freezes real quick and they sculpt it up if you've seen pictures of that. Or is it toe wrestling? So air guitar, body painting, hair freezing and sculpting or toe wrestling? I'm so tempted to go with air guitar because the idea <laughs> of 30,000 people gathering in one spot and just doing air guitar sounds <laughs> wonderful to me. Um, it does sound really fun, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I have to go. And I think it's probably more wishful thinking that it's air guitar. <laughs> and I won't give you a hard time if you want to pick the same answer. I know that's what I was. That's what I was like. Do I learn from my mistakes and and go with the guest and and what they suggest? I like the description, and now I think I have more of a vivid picture in my mind of of this air guitar festival with that many people. So I'm going to go with air guitar, although I'm tempted by toe wrestling. Well, I was hoping to distract you with the hair freezing and sculpting because it's Finland, but y'all are both right. It is air guitar. So it was the 24th, this year's the 24th annual air guitar championships. It's all about promoting world peace with the smiles, what they do. As you would expect, the United States has the most wins on the last 24 years uh, because we know how to shred in the United States. But the last year's winner was Justin Nordic Thunder Howard, and he won by shredding to the song Mississippi Queen by Mountain. That's amazing. Love it. We'll all get tickets and we'll go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 
I'll have to ask my trivia question. Mine is actually related to a, a television show that my daughter, she really likes. Might be a little bit surprised by this because she's, she's only 16 months old. But she actually loves The Golden Girls, which is a, one of the sitcoms from that ran from 1985 to 1992. She gets really happy whenever the theme song comes on and starts dancing to it. So my question is about The Golden Girls. Which of the following is not one of The Golden Girls? Is it Dorothy, Margaret, Rose, Sophia, or Blanche? Margaret. I'm going to go with Margaret. I live under a rock, but I I hope that I, I can at least get the <laughs> I'm gonna have to do what you do. I'm piggyback on the Margaret because I Blanche, Rose, and Dorothy, they all sound they all sound like the characters. I know Blanche for for sure is one of them in Rose. And so it's kind of a fifty fifty there. I'll go with Margaret too. My distractors are not good enough. So <laughs> Natasha is awesome at trivia. Apparently she didn't let us know before we recorded. But yeah, Margaret is the uh, is the correct answer. We're in a unique position, too. If you get the questions right on the next episode you're guesting on, then you qualify for some free postgraduate pharmacist merch that we'll send to you out in Ohio. So we've never had that happen before. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah, well, I I feel like my luck has definitely run out after this. (laughs) All right. So back to the show. So our next question is uh, about some of the careers that you can get into after pursuing uh, community-based pharmacy residency. So what are some of the careers your residents have pursued post-residency? Yeah, so I think that our program is really able to prepare residents for going into a variety of different positions after their training is complete. But we we typically will have at least one resident per year go and do a PGY2 in psych. So that's a very popular option for residents. I think that the training that we provide specifically in psychiatric pharmacy is very beneficial for that. We've also had several most of our residents actually go on to work in clinical pharmacy, and we're lucky enough that we've been able to hire on from our residency classes. So we have three clinical pharmacists currently who all completed our program, but we've also had residents work in ambulatory care clinics, whether it's running the clinics or working as a care pharmacist there. We've had residents go on to do fellowships as well, which I think was very interesting, and I'm excited to hear your episodes on that. That'll be great, as well as being in leadership positions such as pharmacy director. I was so curious about how many went on to PGY2 psych. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. That's that's neat. That's at least one per year. But it's a broad, like from what you're describing, it's this, you know, they go all these different paths. And it's neat. We tell we tell students all the time, it's very likely that your program will hire you on because I mean, it's a year long interview process. So that's neat that you keep some on board. Some go on to pursue further training and some even go down the fellowship path, which, yeah, we're, we're excited to be able to talk about that and transition to that after uh, this series here. That's all great to hear that there's just so many doors that it can open. You all prepare them for. And I'm sure it's like that at a lot of other programs as well, kind of just have a unique niche in that. So you probably see them come in and end up doing different things than what they came in thinking they were going to do. Like, I'm sure they don't come in saying, I'm going to do fellowship. And every single one of them does like 
the, that says it does fellowship and, and vice versa PGY2s. I'm sure they completely change their minds and they come in and they realize all these doors open up and they're like, oh, I could do look at all the stuff I could do with this training. Yeah. And I think that one of the rewarding parts of my being in my position is that I get to work with residents throughout the year and really help them not only find opportunities, but also recognize the skills that they have and how to market that. You know, it's not enough to just be like, yeah, I, I know my clinical stuff. I I can do this position, but you really should be going into any situation trying to market yourself as like, this is what I will bring to you. So it's, it's very rewarding. And I think, you know, helping them realize that they have those skills and that they've developed those skills is just one of the best parts of my job. Yeah. If we could figure out how to just do that and not all the paperwork, that you have to do as a program director. Yeah. That would be the perfect world. <laughs> yeah. If you figure it out, you you let me know. Yeah, there's so much paperwork. Yeah. So much paperwork. Our last question is, do you see community-based residencies changing any in the next five years or so? I hope so. I think that we're really kind of forgotten about when schools start teaching students about what a residency is. I don't think that there's a, a real focus on the opportunities that community pharmacy residencies offer, but with how you know pharmacists are being portrayed in media and the efforts that we've led as far as COVID vaccinations and all that free positive publicity, I think that we should be taking that opportunity to really highlight the training that residents can receive. I expect there to be a lot more positions in community pharmacy residencies. You know, in the next few years, we've seen an increase in positions in the past even five years. So I, I think that the trend is definitely going that way. But yeah, just really hoping to get the word out there and, you know, help students realize that they're not necessarily locked into this just one type of residency program. Yeah, I think that's that's a great vision for, you know, the future of community pharmacy residencies. And I think one of the unique things too is, you know, you're really meeting the patient in that setting where you can prevent some of those long-term effects of those diseases that you're managing. And there's just a lot of opportunities where pharmacists can play a role in those settings. So it's just awesome to hear about all those opportunities that you all provide and kind of what your vision is going forward. Yeah. And even I think just highlighting what a community pharmacist can do within, you know, healthcare is important. And, you know, the more people we have coming out of these residencies, the more publicity or the more information is out there, I think that we can definitely help advocate for the profession because every community pharmacist is a clinical pharmacist. It just depends on, you know, what resource and what information about the patient is available at the time. So Natasha, is there any advice or last minute tips that you'd want to leave the Sasso squad with? Yeah, I think that for students who are looking to do residencies, really try to polish that CV, really try to work on your application, get community service experience. I think it, especially with COVID, the pandemic right now, it is 
fairly easy to do. Volunteer for a vaccine clinic. Really put your name out there and try to show that you have a passion to make an impact in your community. Natasha, thank you so much for being a guest today on The Postgraduate Pharmacist. It's great having you on board, and we look forward to having you in a future episode. Thank you so much. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. You can listen to us for free on your favorite podcast app and check out our show notes below to see links and highlights of the episode. And remember, you can separate and stand out.